welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. I just want to say thank you for joining us. It's my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. There was a father who was trying to wake up his son for church one Sunday, uh, but the son was struggling to get out of bed. Anybody been there before? (laughs) Anybody been the parent before? So the father was trying to motivate his son by telling him he needed to go to Sunday school. And the son said, Dad, did you go to Sunday school when you were a kid? To which the dad proudly replied, Yes, son, every single week I was there. Well, the son sighed and he exclaimed, See, it probably won't work on me either then. Dear guests, we've been in a series called No Place Like Home, and we've been on a play of that great classic story, The Wizard of Oz, and talking about why there's no place like home. And next week, we're actually going to be wrapping up this series. And and, and if I could just say something, um, we plan these series out months in advance, and I've been real excited about this series. Um, I I shouldn't have favorites, but to be honest with you, this is probably one of my favorite series we've ever done, Um, just because of what's gone into it, all of the set stuff that we got from... Um, the Lewis Clark Theater, the costumes that we did, the movie that we did, and and then to be capping it off next week with baptisms, I think it's going to be kind of hard to top that series. Uh, And it's just been great for me. But but we're going to try. And and so what we're going to do is, after this series starts, I want to talk to you just a minute about what our next series is going to be following this. And this series that we're going to do after this series, it's going to start August 7th, it's something we've actually never done before. Now, you're going to hear me say that a lot because as a church, we like to do things that we've never done before, okay? So we are going to have a series, and the name of the series is going to be called Let's Talk About Sex. And the entire series is going to be focused on the topic of sex. Now, you might say, well, pastor, you're just doing that to to shock people and and to get people interested in coming to church. Everybody look right here. Yes, exactly, that's what I'm doing. And, And let me be honest with you. Because I am sick to death of our culture talking about sex every single moment of every single day. Can I tell you something? God's word has a lot to say about sex. And we're going to unpack that together, and we're going to do that. And I know there might be some people that say, Pastor, I can't believe that you're going to talk about sex. I can't believe you're not. I think it's our calling as a pastor to do that. And and, and I'll just say it like this. Um, There's probably two camps of people, if you think about this series and what we're going to be talking about this subject. There's probably the people that are kind of on what I would say the culture side that we hear every day. Like, if it feels good, do it. Everything's open. Everything's great. Um, And and if you're in that camp, I want to tell you this series is for you um, because I think God's word has a lot to say to you. And I think there's some lies that we're believing. And I think that although that might be the mindset, I think I've seen a lot of people in that camp be very miserable. But, but here's the other camp that I want to talk about. And I think there's a group of people that have this feeling that maybe I call them, um, maybe you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but maybe you sit kind of in judgment of our culture. And you say, oh, I can't believe this happened. And, and let me kind of go with what I'm saying here. Um, there's a group of people that I refer to as Jesus followers or Christians that maybe follow Jesus with their mouth, but they don't really follow him with their heart. And and they use this topic as, I'll just say it, as a billy club to beat other people with instead of using it as a topic of love to talk about and share. So we're going to talk about what God has to say no matter where you're at. And and I want to say this is, I don't blame culture. I'm going to say this again. I don't blame culture for where we're at right now on this topic because it's the responsibility of God's church to talk about that. We're called to be light in darkness. 
We shouldn't be shocked when darkness is dark because darkness is dark. But we are called to be light in darkness. And I'm not here to judge other churches. Please don't hear that. But what I'm saying is as the pastor of this church, which God has called and appointed me to be, this is a topic that I have to talk about for our people and understand that. So we're excited to have you uh, come and be part of that. Bring somebody with you if you want to. Um, we're going to have a special guest that's going to come one week, and I'm not telling you who it is. And yes, I'm doing that on purpose because I want you to be here to see that, but it's, it's going to be great. And, and I could go off on this. Um, God has told me I can't preach this message yet. <laughs> I said, keep it clear, but I want to announce that just so you can be aware of it. And if you're having some pushback and you're having some thoughts right now, make sure you come and talk to me about that. We have a couple weeks before that, and that's why I wanted to make sure to be intentional about that, to give you an opportunity to share your feelings and your thoughts about that. And one of the main parts that I want to address immediately that maybe you're thinking about right now is this content for this series is going to be directed at ages sixth grade and older, okay? Because this is a, a topic that we need to talk about, and I'm saying sixth grade and older because if you have kids that are fifth grade or younger, it's going to be kind of a challenge to have them in here. I'm just going to let you know that because it's going to be an uncomfortable topic. Now, as a parent, or if you're watching online, we want to value that. We want to honor that. So I'm really excited to announce that starting Sunday, August 7th, the week of our first series, we are going to reopen our Celebrate Kids area. Now, if you're new to Celebrate, you might have known we haven't had a kids area. If you've been here for a while, you might understand that we used to have a kids area, what I refer to as BC, which it stands for before COVID. <laughs> if you didn't know that. So before COVID, we used to have a, a kids area, birth through fifth grade. We haven't had it since COVID for a variety of reasons. I will not get into here. If you have questions about that, come and talk to me. But we said this series is really going to be a great point for us to say, hey, let's Create an environment for those kids, birth through fifth grade, where they can go and they can learn about Jesus in a safe, age-appropriate environment. And so the parents can come and hear that too as well. So if you're interested about being involved in that or have more questions, definitely call, text, put on your connection card, because we have some really cool things that are coming out with that. But again, I just wanted to introduce that to you today. We're going to be talking about it the next couple weeks. But uh, today, to, to kind of keep this series going, we've been focusing on different characters in the story of the Wizard of Oz. We've covered quite a few of them. And today, the character is going to be one of an interesting character, probably not one you think about when you think about the Wizard of Oz. But today, the character we're going to talk about is Auntie M. Now, if you're not familiar with Wizard of Oz, or it's been a while since you've seen the movie, there's Dorothy. She's the one that gets, goes to the land of Oz, the young girl who runs away from home. And she lives on this farm with her family, her Auntie M and her uncle. And they have this farm. And Auntie M is, is an interesting part of the story. Again, she doesn't have a lot of lines. She's not a very main character. But Auntie M has a lot of conflict in this story. Let, let me help you if it's been a while since you've seen it. So at the beginning of the movie, Dorothy comes up and has a real issue that she has to talk to her Auntie M about. And if you remember, she was too busy. She says, Dorothy, I just can't handle this right now. You just need to go away, figure it out. I'm not able to talk to you about this. Then Auntie M comes over to the farmhands. Remember the farmhands? Zeke and Hickory and Hunk, right? And the, their farmhands aren't really doing their job. And so as her, their employer, Auntie M had to get after them. Hey, what are you guys doing? What are you messing around? Keep getting back to work again. Does this sound familiar? Anybody else sound like that might be their week, right? Okay. <laughs> then Auntie M has an issue because remember the neighbor lady comes. And she says, oh, that dog that Dorothy has, she, she bit me and she's got to be taken away. And so Auntie M is dealing with the conflict with the neighbor. And then because of that, as a result of what happened with Toto, if you remember the story, Dorothy runs away from home. So now Auntie M is dealing with a missing 
da- missing niece, little Dorothy, running around from home. See, Auntie M has to deal with a lot of conflict throughout this story. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you deal with any conflict in your house? <laughs> if the answer is no, there's probably somebody in your house who's already dealing with the conflict, and they're just letting you take care of it, okay? That happens sometimes, doesn't it? Everyone in our home has conflict. Conflict is part of being our home. In fact, I'm going to say it this way. Conflict is inevitable. Conflict in our homes are inevitable. And I'll just be honest with you. This week, um, when I was preparing this message, um, talking about conflict, sometimes God does this to me. I had my unusual share of conflict this week. Okay, I don't know how your week was, but if I could just get personal for a second, I had a lot of conflict in my life this week. And I think God was kind of preparing me for this week, and I don't really appreciate that sometimes. But I just want to share that with you because I want to be real. When I sit up here and I say this stuff, this is, this is God's word in my life too. And a lot of times when I'm sharing things, it's just as much about what God's doing in me as it is in you and well. See, conflict's part of our life. In our marriage, marriage can have conflict, can't there? A lot of conflict sometimes in marriage. There can be conflict in parenting. If you're a blended family, if you have kids with, with other parents, sometimes the ex-spouse can cause a lot of conflict. The number one conflict in families is, of course, our finances. We fight about money, how much we have, how much we should spend, how much we should save. That can cause conflict. How about housework? Right? The dirty dishes have been sitting there for a week, or you never pick up your garbage, you never take out the trash. That's a conflict in my home. I have two teenage boys, okay? Pray for me. <laughs> conflict is a part of, of life in general. But, but I have some news that, that might kind of discourage you, and I don't want it to, but, but here's the reality. I have to be honest with you. When you choose to follow Jesus Christ, when you decide to make Jesus Christ the center of your home, your conflict doesn't go away. You will still have conflict in your home if you choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, that's the way it works. In fact, Jesus Christ himself had conflict in his family. Did you know that? See, what we know about Jesus, of course, he was born to Mary, who was a virgin. After he was born, Mary and Joseph got married. And after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had other children. We know that from Scripture. We'll talk about that in a second. And so here's the thing I want you to understand. Can you imagine how difficult it was if your sibling was Jesus Christ? Okay. Now, show of hands, how many people in this room have siblings? Okay. Now, now keep your hands up if you ever had a conflict with your sibling. Okay. Everybody, some of the hands went up higher. Okay. Now, keep your hands up if one of your siblings thought they were perfect. Oh. Okay. Now, you put your hands down. Imagine if one of your siblings was perfect. Can you think about this for a second? Jesus never sinned. He never did anything wrong. But yet there was still conflict in his household. So just to give you a picture of what this was like, and from Scripture, I'm going to go to some verses. You don't have to go there. They're going to be on the screen behind me. But how? what are the conflicts that Jesus experienced in his own home? In John chapter 7, we learn that Jesus and his family were going to go to a festival in Jerusalem. This is what his brother said to him. Verse 3. Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see all the works that you're doing. No one wants to become a public figure in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. Can I help you with what's going on there? They're mocking him. Jesus' brother, Okay, you're the Son of God. Yep, okay, go show, go show everybody you're the Son of God. Sound familiar? Any siblings? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> It happens. It happened to Jesus. Jesus was mocked by his siblings. 
Jesus was condemned by his family. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is out teaching and preaching. And Mark tells us in verse 21, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Jesus, you're talking about all these things about the kingdom of God. We think Jesus has kind of lost it. We need to go and we need, we need to take him because he's, he's kind of loony right now. They condemned him. Did you ever get mocked by your siblings, right? And then what happened at the end, and this is probably the saddest part about it, in John 19, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and I mean this in all seriousness, Jesus was alone on the cross. Of his whole entire family, the only person that the Gospels tell us was at the foot of the cross was his mother Mary. And as Jesus was hanging on the cross, dying and suffering horrible pain, in John chapter 19, verse 26, John tells us, When Jesus saw his mother there, the disciple whom he loved was standing nearby. Jesus said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple, who by the way was John, took Mary into his home. Now, just to give you a real quick picture of what's actually going on here, in the Jewish culture, for Jesus to be the oldest son, the responsibility to take care of his mom, who at that point was a widow, would have fallen on Jesus. Jesus, who was dying, instead of saying, okay, mom, now my brothers and sisters are going to take care of you, Jesus knew they wouldn't. And Jesus had to take his mom and say, John, my best friend, my disciple who's here, please go and take care of my mom. Can you think about the dysfunction that must have been in Jesus' family? That he were to say, while he's dying, hanging on the cross for the sins of the world, Mom, I need to make sure you're taken care of. And I know my brothers and sisters aren't going to do it, so I've got to have my best friend John do that for you. Doesn't that break your heart? His family completely abandoned. Now, why do I tell you all that? I tell you all that stuff for one main purpose. I hope it helps you feel better about the conflict in your family. Okay? This is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the perfect God in flesh. And yet he had constant conflict in his family, which again brings me back to what I said before. Conflict is inevitable. But as followers of Jesus Christ, what we can learn from this, although conflict is inevitable, and you might want to write this down, my response is optional. Conflict is inevitable. It doesn't matter if you are the savior of the world. There will be conflict in your home. I'm sorry. But my response is always, always optional. If you got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to James chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give one to you. Um, we also have a U, uh, free app. It's called Version, available on any smartphone or device. You can download it right now. But while you're going to James chapter 4, I need to explain to you who James is. This disciple that's writing this is not the disciple James that followed Jesus. It wasn't one of the 12 that was with Jesus. This this, this apostle who wrote the book of James was actually James, the half-brother of Jesus. This was one of those who came along after Jesus was born, was born to Mary and Joseph. He was the half-brother of Jesus. Tradition tells us that he actually physically resembled Jesus. So even after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension to heaven, it was like kind of looking at him. You ever have a brother that looks just like you and somebody goes, man, you look just like that? That was James. And what we know from history and from this passage is that James became one of the leaders in the early church. As I said before, that wasn't always the case, was it? Remember James? He was one of those who mocked Jesus, who condemned him. Jesus, uh, James had abandoned Jesus. But don't miss this, church. Something changed in the life of James. Something changed, and I contend he saw his brother, Jesus, after he was dead, after he was buried, 
raised from the dead and was the resurrection. And that church, if you have a hard time believing in the resurrection, you should study James. Because what would it take to convince you that your brother is the son of God? <laughs> I contend nothing would convince you your brother is the son of God except for the fact that you watch him dead and buried and now raised from the dead. And James became one of the key leaders in the other church because he said, my brother Jesus is the son of God. And so there's a lot you can learn from James. See, this is why you should read your Bible. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that great? James chapter 4, verse 1. James asked a question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That's a great question, isn't it, James? What causes fights and quarrels among you? I wonder if when James wrote that, if he was thinking back to his day, early days with Jesus and remembering all the conflicts he had with Jesus and how Jesus was always perfect and never did anything wrong. What did James learn from that? What, what it causes conflict? If you had to answer that question, what would you say? What causes conflicts and quarrels among you? James 4, verse 1, James continues on and says, Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? See, every person, every man, woman, and child in your family has desires. We have a desire to what we want to do. We have a desire for what we want to eat or what we don't want to eat. We have a desire on how we want to spend our time, how we want to spend our money. We have a desire for how the toilet paper should go over the roll, and it should go over the top. If you put it below, I'm going to pray for you because I don't know what's wrong with you. Don't you understand? We all have a desire, don't we? And here's the problem. This is the source of conflict. This is what James is saying. The problem is when my desires conflict with your desires. You have a desire. I have a desire. They're not the same thing. Therefore, we have conflict. And if I just might add, this is not just in the home. This is not just in marriage. This is just not in parenting. This is the source of every conflict throughout human history. Jared Diamond wrote a book called Upheaval. It's a fascinating book. It's about 700 pages long. I don't recommend reading it, but I'm going to give you the synopsis of it. This is why this is an interesting book. Jared Diamond wrote about the countries of the United States of America, Finland, Japan, Chile, Indonesia, Germany, and Australia. Why that's important is Diamond actually spent time throughout his life living in each one of those countries, and he spoke all of the languages from that country. And he wrote a 600-page exposition on each one of these countries and their history and the sources of their conflict. Now, why do I tell you that? Because I want to tell you kind of the, the takeaway that Diamond found that's so important. Diamond found that in every one of those cultures, in every one of those countries, every major conflict has one source. Guess what it was? Desire. I have something and you want it. Or I want something and you have it, therefore that causes conflict. Which I would go back to James, the brother of Jesus. He's been saying that for thousands of years. What Diamond found out in his study. What does he say in the rest of verse 2? You desire but do not have. So you kill. You covet because you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. Now you might say, well, pastor, I've never killed anybody. Thought about it a couple times. <laughs> Maybe tried, but I've never killed anybody. But what did Jesus say? If you slander somebody with your words, it's like you've killed them, haven't you? So we might not have gone that way, but I guarantee you've had that conflict. You've had that coveting. You've had those desires that conflicted with the desires of other people in your household. And I'm going to say it again, conflict is inevitable. But my response is optional. James goes on to say, you do not have because you do not ask God. To which you might say, James, but I did ask God. James responds, when you ask God, you do not receive. 
Why is that, James? I have a desire, and I asked God, and I didn't get it. Why didn't I get what I want, James? To which James responds, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. My desires. My desires are most important. What I want is more important than what you want, so you should give me what I want. Isn't that what we say in conflict? Now, we might not say that, but our actions and behavior determine that as well. See, it's all about what I want. So conflict is inevitable. James said that. He learned that growing up with Jesus. But my response is optional. So if you got your notes, I want you to take them out, and I'm going to give you three options that we have when you have conflict. And if you don't write these down, I'm going to assume that you probably don't have any conflict in your household, um, so you should probably come up here and you should preach, and I'll sit down and listen to you. Okay? But if you, if you might have conflict, you might want to write these down. Okay, here's the first one. When it comes to conflict, take initiative, not inaction. Take initiative, not inaction. You know, there was a wife who was extremely frustrated at her husband, which that's pretty rare, isn't it? I think it is. Um, anyway, so the wife had a thought. She said, listen, I'm not going to say anything to this husband for the rest of the day until he realizes what's going on. At the end of the day, the wife is still furious, and the husband thinks, man, this is a great day. We didn't fight even once. <laughs> and all God's men said, no, don't say amen to that, okay? <laughs> listen, listen. Conflict needs to be addressed. Doing nothing rarely makes a situation better. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say, when there's conflict and you ignore it, it never gets better. Here's why I say that. You've probably heard of Newton's first law of motion. You might have learned that back in school. If you're not remembering that, I'll, I'll read it to you. An object in motion stays in motion with the same speed and force unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. When I have a baseball and I throw that baseball, that baseball is going to keep going until air, gravity, works on that force and pulls it down. You with me on this? It's the same thing with conflict. That conflict is going to stay in motion with the same speed and force unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. And years can go by. Decades can go by. And that conflict can continue in the same motion until we choose to deal with it. Church, can I just give you some really hard truth? As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to deal with conflict. We just can't let it go. We can't ignore it. We have to deal with it. We have to take action. Now, I, I'm not, I, I know we need to take time sometime. I know there's a place for patience. There's a place for prayer. There's a place for getting your thinking straight, calming down. I'm all for that. I'm not saying don't do that. But what I'm saying is this. Do not use that as an excuse to avoid conflict because we need to deal with it. And this is Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is saying this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Look at what Jesus says. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Church, we have to deal with conflict. It's inevitable. And we need to take initiative, not in action. But that brings us to number two. We need to take initiative, not in action, Number two is we need to focus on reconciliation, not resolution. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. You need to focus on reconciliation, not resolution. It is so sad that after years of a great marriage or a great friendship or a great sibling, 
That one conflict can destroy that. And maybe you've seen that in your life. I've definitely seen it in mine. That you can have years and years and decades of great relationship, yet one conflict, one problem we have, and now we no longer have the relationship. For whatever reason, we couldn't see eye to eye, but yet we chose not to walk hand in hand. Church, can I just say, as followers of Jesus Christ, that's not an option for us. Look at what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you. When he says all of you, you know what that means? It means all of us. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. I'm going to read those words again. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. You know what he doesn't say there? He doesn't say, solve the problem. Did you notice that? He says, be those things. But what does he say? Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to do this, you were called so that many may inherit a blessing. Do you know it's really hard to insult somebody when you're blessing them? Like if somebody is insulting you and all you're doing is blessing them, that makes it difficult to insult you, doesn't it? And, and you know what it does? It actually makes that person look like a jerk, doesn't it? That's exactly what we're called to do. We're called to return insults with blessing. Is that easy? No. But the relationship is always the most important thing, not the issue. No matter what your conflict with that person is, the relationship with that person is always the most important thing. God cares about reconciliation, not resolution. And God did that for us so we can be a blessing. See, God gave us reconciliation. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for me to get it right first. God said, I'm going to go to you and I'm going to be reconciled to you. And you might still reject me. And can I say this? In your relationships, in your conflict, they might still reject you. Because it happened to Jesus, didn't it? But that's not the point. The point is, I'm going to go, and I'm going to try to be reconciled to you. Which brings us to number three. So we're going to take initiative, not an action. We're going to focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Here's the third one. So important, church. Seek to understand, not to be understood. Seek to understand, not to be understood. I'm going to make a statement, and, and you might laugh, but I don't mean it to be funny. We always think we're right. And I'm not trying to be funny. I, if I thought I was wrong about something, I would change my thinking, didn't I? The reason why I think I'm right is because I think I'm right. The reason why I think the toilet paper should go over and not under is because I'm right. <laughs> and I haven't been convinced otherwise, and we're probably not going to. And that's, I think, part of the problem. We need to seek to understand, not be understood. If you were thought you were wrong, you would change. Now, there were two apostles, John and Paul. And I don't mean John and Paul from the Bible. I mean the Beatles. <laughs> John Lennon and Paul McCartney. If you're not a Beatles fan, I'm going to help you with this. See, John Lennon and Paul McCartney had a wonderful relationship. They grew up together in the same town. And since they were kids, they started playing guitars and writing music and writing songs together. And it just so happened that they became the most popular band that's ever existed in the history of the Western civilization. And it's not an overstatement. And they were just two friends. They were two buddies together. And they were literally going all over the world. And people to this day, every rock band you see is, is based on the Beatles. Whether they say it or not, that's what they do. And they try to be that, and they try to recreate it. And it was really because of these two friends that just got together and played music. And they would play off each other and write music together. Um, there actually is an, a documentary on HBO. Um, and I don't binge watch stuff. 
very much at all. I totally binge watched this. There's a, a documentary called Let It Be, and it followed the Beatles through the, their making of their album, Let It Be. It's just fascinating. It, it's just great to see. But why do I tell you all that stuff? Because in 1965, John and Paul wrote a song that you probably have heard before called We Can Work It Out. Have you ever heard that song before? I love this song. And what I find is interesting about John and Paul when they wrote this song, they didn't take their own advice, did they? Because in 1969, the Beatles broke up. And they are no longer a band, and they had fights together. But, but why I tell you about this, this song is interesting. It, it kind of worked how most of their songs worked. Paul had an idea, and he was playing it out, and, and he'd write part of it, and John would write part of it. So I'm going to read to you the lyrics. If you're not familiar with this song, I'm going to read to you the part that Paul wrote. And I'm going to try really hard not to sing it. You guys know how much I love to sing. And I've been told, hey, I heard, thank you, Jesus. Did you hear that? I'm going to try really hard to read these lyrics to you and not sing them. This is what Paul wrote. Listen to these words. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can't go on? While you see it your way, I run the risk of knowing that our love will soon be gone. And then the hook, we can work it out, we can work it out. This is what John wrote. John Lennon wrote the bridge. This is the bridge. Life is very short, and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. I've always thought that it's a crime, so I will ask you once again. We can work it out. And the great tragedy of the Beatles is that in 1980, John Lennon was assassinated. And for the last 40 years, we've been robbed of that friendship. Because what you may not know is John and Paul were actually in conversation at that time. And there was talk about them maybe collaborating to do stuff. And our world has been robbed of whatever music could have been made over the last 40 years because John didn't take his own advice. He didn't seek to understand before being understood. And because of that, we've been robbed of that. James says the same thing in chapter 4, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. What's James saying right there? Let me help you with this part. See, God has given us laws. And if you remember the Old Testament, a lot of that in Moses was learning about the laws of God. Every single law of God had to do with our relationship with who? With God and with people. Help me out, church. Love God, love. That's what the law was about. Every law God gave was to help our relationship with people. But the problem is we would use the law as a weapon. And that's why it didn't work. Because instead of using the law to look at my own sin and my own brokenness, I would use it as a weapon against you, and we still do this to this day. This is why, and you've heard me say this before, church, this is why I love our country. I love all of our branches of government, but I do not put my hope in the Supreme Court to settle conflicts in our country. Can I just say that? And I know that. I'm just telling you that. I don't have my hope in that. I don't have my hope in the Senate or the Congress or who's in the White House to settle conflicts. Do you know why? Because the only way we can settle conflicts is through the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? When us as Jesus followers follow that, that's my hope in Jesus. That's what James is saying here. We can't rely on the law. We can't use it as a weapon. We need to seek to understand before being understood. And do you know what that takes? One word that's really hard. It's the word humility. In order to understand somebody, where they're coming from, I need to have humility. I need to understand that maybe, just maybe, I might be wrong. Ooh, that's hard, isn't it, right? Oh, we don't like that. Or maybe if that's too far of a leap, maybe there's something that I need to see. Remember the song? Try to see it my way. We can work it out. 
Be curious. Ask them what are they thinking. And I don't mean like, what were you thinking? Okay, because we ask that sometimes, right? What I'm saying is try to understand why they are thinking that way. What perspective, what is going on inside of that person right now that's causing that desire? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What's their emotions? Do you understand how that can kind of take the air out of the room a little bit? And you can really kind of level that conflict off. And that's what it means. Seek to understand before being understood. So what causes fights and quarrel among you? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? What desire are they not getting? What desire am I not getting? And why is that causing conflict? Asking those questions and seeing that and understanding that the number one thing is our relationship with that person. We can have conflicts. It's inevitable. But I never want to lose that relationship. So now, I'm going to give you a gift. And this is one of the greatest gifts that I can give you. And, and, and I want to share this with you. And, and I first learned this from a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley. And when he heard it, I'm like, this is brilliant. And I can't say it any better. So I'm going to give you this gift. In talking about this passage, in recognizing that all of our conflicts, no matter on a global scale, down to your marriage, down to your kids, all of our conflicts come down to one simple principle. I want something that's different than what you want. We talked about that, right? Okay, so anytime you have a conflict, no matter if it's with your husband, your coworkers, your brothers, your kids, whatever you have the conflict is, this is what you need to say. You need to say, do you know what the problem is right now? I'm not getting what I want. And then smile. <laughs> okay, look at them and say, do you know what the problem is right now? As the, as the conflict's escalating, as it's going, as the, those walls are getting, as those defenses are getting built, you look at them and say, you know what the problem is right now? I'm not getting what I want, and then smile. Let's practice that, because that's hard. Find somebody here, turn around, look at them, and say, you know the problem is? You know what the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. <laughs> that's the problem. I'm not getting what I want right now. And trust me, it changes the conversation, doesn't it? Because it puts us down and says, listen, there's something going on between us, and I don't know what it is. And I have a desire. And sometimes it is our fault, isn't it? We need to ask, we need to look in the mirror and say, okay, why is that my desire? I mentioned earlier that I had some conflict this week, and I had to walk through this with someone, and, and I was talking with them about it. And it's funny, because I was literally going through these message points, right? Because I'm just telling you, I try to live this out in my own life. And I had to say, okay, what is it? What's my desire? And I actually had to say out loud to this person, what my, I wasn't having the conflict with this person, but I was saying out loud, this is what I'm wanting in this situation, and I'm not getting it. And I just can tell you, there is a relief that comes to that. And I could walk into that situation that I had to go into, had a whole new perspective. Because I was able to say, you know what the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. Church, can I just say it one more time? Conflict is inevitable. Even if you follow Jesus Christ, conflict is going to happen in your marriage. It's going to happen with your kids. It's going to happen in your finances. It's going to happen in your job. It's going to happen in your... Conflict is inevitable. My response is optional. We need to recognize that I have a desire and that person has a desire and this is what's causing the conflict in our lives. And it's because of my love for them. Or, or to take it a step further, it's because of God's love for me that I don't want to waste another day. And I just want to go back to the words that song. Life is very short, and there is no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. I've always thought that it's a crime, so I will ask you once 
again. I am going to take the initiative. Church, as followers of Jesus Christ, the ball is in your court. If there's a conflict in your life, we need to take initiative. Don't wait because it might be too late. Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. The relationship is key. We cannot lose that person. We can lose the battle, but we never want to lose that person from our life. And does that mean you might have to take it on the chin? Yep. Does that mean you might have to swap? Does that mean you might have to be wrong? Does it might mean you have to look at them and understand that they are wrong? Yep. Is that easy to do? Nope. But Jesus did it on that cross. And he looked at every single one of us and he said, but you're worth it. Your relationship is worth it. Seek to understand, not be understood. We need to have humility enough to recognize there's something going on that I don't quite get. Maybe it's going on with me. Maybe it's going on with them. But God, please help me to understand that. And church, if we get that right, there is no place like home. Let's pray. God, I'm nervous to even put this microphone down because I know there's probably going to be some conflict in my life that I'm going to have to live out what you just said. And that's always the hardest part. And God, in the presence of my church, I just want to thank you for the conflict that you gave me this past week. Because of that, I was able to remember these things that you taught And I was able to reflect back on on James, Jesus, your brother, who you grew up with. And I don't know the hundreds of hours that maybe you spent with him doing whatever. And how much it must have hurt you when he mocked you, when he condemned you, when he abandoned you and your family. But Jesus, because of your love, something changed in your brother that he would become one of the leaders of the early church. He would write one of the epistles that's one of the foundations of our faith. It's so much wisdom in it. And and I, I believe with all my heart that when James was writing that, Jesus, he was thinking about you. And what a gift that we can have in our own families, in our marriages, with our kids, with our neighbors. When conflict comes, we can recognize I'm not getting what I want. Or there's something they want that they're not getting, and that's the source of this conflict. And Jesus, there is an enemy out there who hates us, who wants us to be at war with each other. And you came to overcome that. And you've given us a call, just as Peter said, to love, to take that initiative, even when we don't feel like it. To understand that my relationship with that person is most important. I might lose this battle, They might have to be wrong, but I'm going to love. And I'm going to learn something about me, something about them that's going to help me grow in my faith. God, I thank you for conflict. But I pray that as a church, we'll walk together with each other to learn how we can overcome it, as you did on the cross. And ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. You can also check out more content on our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, at Celebrate Yankton. 
If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share with others. God bless.